The scripture reading is from Psalms 145, chapters 10 through 18. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your faithful shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to all people your mighty deeds and this glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and gracious in all his deeds. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, satisfying the desire of every living thing. The Lord is just in all his ways and kind in all his doings. The Lord is near to all who call on him and to all who call on him in truth. This is the story of faith and faithful struggle. Thanks be to God. As we enter into this time of receiving God's word, let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each one of our hearts be acceptable to you, Holy One. And may we, like Samuel, cry out and say, Speak, Lord, for we are listening. Amen. Our liturgist, Norma LeMay, has just read Psalm 145 telling of all the wonderful ways in which God is powerful, does mighty deeds, has glorious splendor in the everlasting kingdom, endures throughout generations, is faithful and gracious, upholds those who fall, raises up those who bow down, gives food, satisfies desires, is just and kind, and most of all, is near. God is near. While I don't normally preach on the Psalms, I find them incredibly meaningful, just as many of us feel about the hymns we sing. So often there is a nugget of truth that has helped us through a difficult time. So many times a lilting harmony sticks in our heads like a little piece of sunshine we carry around to brighten our day. Or a hymn comes to mind when its rhythm is mimicked in the sounds of nature or the lawnmower or the washing machine. Hymns and songs, like psalms, comfort us. Many of our psalms are psalms of lament, invitations for us to cry out to God in our sorrow and our pain, permission for us to say those things aloud to God ourselves or close ones so that we can feel out loud too. But this psalm is one of those that praise God, which so much religious music does extols the virtues and qualities of the divine mystery that creates, guides, and loves us unconditionally. The qualities of God enumerated in this psalm, thanking God for all of the ways in which our basic needs are met, reminds me of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. 
That hierarchy of needs is a pyramid shape showing that those physical needs like air and food and water are the most basic needs that must be met before we can even begin to consider higher functions like appreciation of art or music or theology. We must be fed and the Creator has created a world full of lobster and Brussels sprouts and papayas. And this psalm thanks God for that provision. The next level of Maslow's hierarchy shows safety needs. Before and centuries before Maslow drew this pyramid, the psalmist recognized that our mighty God is powerful and provides safety. In the third level, we look for love and belonging, which I believe is what church is all about and is demonstrated in this psalm in God's upholding those who fall and raising up those who bow down. That fourth level of self-esteem connotes to our knowing we are worthy of God's love and the love of others. It is what John Wesley describes in, as justifying grace, knowing that we are worthy of God's love and grace. I believe that the top level of being the best we can be on that Maslow's hierarchy of needs relates to our desire to help others, not to make ourselves feel good, but out of genuine care for our neighbor. I believe that our work for justice and kindness and equality reflect the divine as we reach toward that top level. Of course, each level of this hierarchy depends on a solid foundation of the ones below. And that brings me to the theme of today's sermon. God is near. When I say God meets our needs, I don't mean magically puts a burger on the table for dinner. I mean that God created a world in which life exists symbiotically with bees pollinating plants that are for food, for mammals which return to the soil and produce the next generation of crops. I don't mean God magically raises a barn to provide shelter for us. I mean God endowed us with the skill and creativity to build shelter for ourselves. Those needs, when met, mean that we can move on to the higher needs of belonging and esteem and reaching out. And this is where humans have fallen down, have sinned, have been apart from God. Those who know me well know that I am delighted by the exploration of space. But knowing that people are starving while two billionaires have traveled into space for fun recently is an ethical conundrum. Former Supreme Court Justice Potter Stewart said, ethics is the difference between what you have a right to do and what is right to do. Let me say that again. Ethics is the difference between what you have a right to do and what is right to do. While billionaires Bezos and Branson had every right to use their money as they chose, was it the right thing to do? Do they have some responsibility to help others with their wealth? Do we? Do we? People are starving. People have terrible health care bills. People have crushing student loan debt. Do we, as their neighbors, have a responsibility to help them? I believe we do. And from another point of view, when we are the ones in need, when our health or well-being are in danger, 
Can we expect to rely on our family and friends for help? I believe we can. I believe this because of Jesus' teachings about living in community, loving our neighbor, and loving God. I think Maslow's hierarchy of needs is instructive here, too. If we've met our basic needs of food and safety and housing on those first two levels, we begin then to seek belonging, the knowledge that we are worthy. And then that extends out to helping others eat, be safe, and have housing. It's not so much the measure of wealth that triggers that outward reach as it is spiritual maturity. We see that truth in examples of people like the widow who gave all that she had, that widow's might. She was rich beyond measure in the spirit, but had just barely enough from a human standpoint to meet her basic needs. Are your needs met? Do you belong? Do you know you are worthy of God's love? Are you ready to move to that final tier of self-actualization where you genuinely seek to meet others' needs? I think that Psalm 145 helps us find our way to the top of this pyramid. It helps because it says God is near. The fact that God is near means that we don't have to climb this mountain by ourselves. The fact that God is near means that not only are our human physical needs cared for by this majestic creation, but so are our spiritual needs. Our spiritual growth is nurtured by creation just as surely as those lobsters I alluded to before. Because God is near. Divine love is always there, yearning for us to turn to it when we are despairing. Divine love is always there, reminding us of our immortal, eternal nature that goes on even after our earthly bodies are no more. God is near, compelling us to remember that we belong to one another so that we share the wealth with those in need. Jesus calls us to love God and love neighbor as we love ourselves. We understand ourselves from the Genesis narrative to be created in the image and likeness of God, reflecting divine love itself in our actions here on earth. During this time of COVID, various agencies and research groups have been conducting surveys that ask obvious questions like, are we feeling well? Have we been in contact with others who have COVID? Do we wear our masks? And have we traveled outside the state? But interestingly, one set of questions that comes up at the end is, have you felt lonely or isolated in the past seven days? Do you hear how this dovetails into our explanation of the middle section of the hierarchy? It is that level where we seek belonging, where we seek love and connection. The psalmist assures us that God is near. I can remember as a young mom out on my own a time when I had a terrible backache. It was so bad that I felt I could barely care for my daughter, who was three or four at the time. My husband was at work, my parents weren't available, and I just needed someone to help me, someone to care for me, someone to take away my burden of all the things I needed to do around the house as a mom, and someone to care for me. I remember praying, I just want to go home. 
The answer to my prayer was that I was home in God's loving care, held in God's warm embrace. God is near. Before I had felt, I couldn't go on. But once I had that realization, somehow my daughter didn't need to be picked up so often. I didn't need to lift that laundry basket or stand over that stove. Somehow God's presence comforted me, healed me simply by being near, by knowing that I wasn't alone. Knowing that we can turn to divine love to listen to our fears when we cry out in those psalms of lament is an enormous help. Seeing that love manifested by others who step up to help, like those yesterday at the bluegrass barbecue for the homeless, is a wonderful demonstration of divine love being near. The Sanskrit word namaste, which some of us learned in yoga classes, means the divine in me sees the divine in you. Think about that nearness of God in the context of that sentiment. We may be God's love near to someone else who needs it, just as they may be God's love near to us just when we need it. May it be so. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. Amen.